0: a fresh take on what's going on with the Saints LSU the betting world and the NFL then you've picked the right place Jim Derry has plenty of dad and he's ready to tell you the way it is or the way he thinks it is where you at New Orleans and hello to all my friends Walking around supermarkets looking for turkeys and hams and trying to figure out how the hell you're going to pay for it. It ain't cheap. Thanksgiving's expensive. But I just sit and let my wife handle all that because she's wonderful at it. And I just eat it. And get ready for a full day of Thanksgiving football coming up a week from tomorrow. Hello, everybody. I am Jim Derry. Sports betting writer at The Advocate, Times at and bet.nola.com. And welcome to Datitude episode number 24 for a Wednesday, November the 17th, 2021. How do we feel this morning? Do, are, we, are we just kind of walking around in our sleep? Like this whole, you know, I, I've said this before. It seems like during football season... I mean, it's just incredibly busy. But I, I go to bed on Monday night, and I wake up, it's, it's Sunday morning. This week has been a little bit tougher because we're still thinking about the loss to Tennessee. And usually by now I'm already looking ahead, and, and I am looking ahead. I wrote the, my NFL picks column this morning. Check it out on, on bet.noah.com. All throughout, noah.com slash sports and com slash sports slash saints. It was a tough one to write. I did not have a lot of initiative to write this, this column. And I had, a, I had a good picks week last week, I went eight and six against the spread. We're above 500 for the year against the spread. But, um, you know, it's hard to look forward sometimes when you're still thinking back and what could have been. And you think about Jim Morrow with the could have, would have, should have, and that's what Sunday was. I'm still thinking what could have, would have, should have. It's hard not to. A 23-21 loss to the Tennessee Titans, that should have been a Saints victory. And we, we have Juan Kincaid from Fox 8 coming up in just about, oh, it's not going to be that long, probably five or seven minutes. And we talk about, the you know, it's the midway point of the season. We've actually turned the corner now, nine games into a 17-game season. By weeks already gone. It's hard to believe we're week 11 already. But we spend most of our time we talk to them for a little less than an hour, and we spend probably forty minutes of that talking about the Saints. We do touch on the Pelicans and LSU, and we have to. I mean, this is this is, this is not a Saint show. I mean, it's it's Saint centric, but it's not a Saint show. But look, this time of year, that's what you're thinking about. That's what we're all thinking about, and it is tough to get past what happened on Sunday. And I spent most of Monday's show If you haven't listened to it Go back and and check out episode number 23 With Jeff Duncan Wherever you get your podcast We'll get into that in just a second But I don't feel much different than I felt Monday A lot of times I I feel differently two days later I don't I've softened a little bit On my Just reaming Of Trevor Simeon And I probably went a little too far but I don't feel any differently in the grand scheme of things. I don't feel like I, I do. I certainly feel like if this guy's going to be the quarterback for the rest of the year, then you can pencil in eight and nine, maybe seven and ten, because that's where this team's going with him at quarterback. I doubt very seriously he will be the starting quarterback at the towards the end of this season whether it's because the Saints are so far in a hole and they want to use Ian Book or because Sean Payton realizes he has to use Taysom Hill to have any chance to go to the playoffs. And if you look at the Vegas odds, and we ran this on odds and ends on Monday, excuse me, the Saints are currently a favorite to go to the playoffs, minus 140 to go to the playoffs, plus 110 to not go to the playoffs in the eyes of Las Vegas. Those odds before Sunday and certainly before the Falcons game were way different. They they were much better. I think the Saints were probably a 2-1 to favorite to go to the playoffs before the Falcons game. Maybe even a little bit higher than that. So Vegas now is wondering whether the Saints are going to go to the playoffs. What they have gone for them is there are now seven teams that go to the playoffs instead of six for the second year in a row, and that's staying now. Maybe even might go up. Let's don't get like the NBA. That's all another story. But Vegas sees the Saints as a basically almost an even money shot to go to the playoffs. And what it comes down to is this week. Because I asked the question, and we talk about it with Juan in a little bit, but is this a must win for the Saints? With seven teams going to the playoffs in the NFC, it's hard to say that a 5 and 4 team if you lose in 5 and 5 you're out. But that certainly could be the case. If you lose this week and you're 5 and 5, you got Buffalo and Dallas coming into the dome and you're staring 5 and 7 right in the face. There's no guarantee that they would if they lost this week that they would lose to Buffalo and Dallas. And the Saints have beaten teams that maybe they shouldn't have beaten before, obviously. Beat Green Bay in the opener in Jacksonville. All kinds of things going wrong with the Packers at that point. And then you beat Tampa Bay in the Dome. But you lose to the Giants, the Falcons, the Panthers, and now the Titans, a game you should have won. So, theres I mean, with this quarterback, and and again, I go back to Trevor Simeon. But if they lose to the Eagles, do you really think Trevor Simeon's going to beat the Buffalo Bills and the Dallas Cowboys? I don't. So this is a must-win. That's where I'm at. It's a must-win. You've got to go to Philadelphia and win. And that's why in my picks column, again, a spoiler alert, and I write in there that I, had origin- I went through my handicap like I normally do every week, and I try to keep gut out of it as much as I can and what it looks like and where they are, and I picked the Eagles. And I wrote an entire blurb on... Picking the Eagles, and this is not a good spot. Not necessarily not a good spot, but where the Saints are. Coming off a loss, they're going to be emotionally drained going back on the road to a place they lost last year against a team that is kind of in the same boat as the Saints, right? They're kind of in a must-win situation, too, because they're they're a game behind the Saints. So they've got to win, too. And they're not a great football team, but the Saints showed they they struggled with Jalen Hurts last year, and I believe it was his first NFL start last year. And they couldn't stop him. And it was sandwiched in between. The Eagles, I think, had lost four in a row coming into that game. They beat the Saints, and then they lose out. You got Alvin Kamara, who's probably going to come back. But how effective is he going to be? So a lot rests on the shoulders of this quarterback. And if you're telling me you feel confident confident in the way he's going to play Sunday, then good for you, because I don't. And I hope I am wrong. I hope I get to come on the show Monday morning with Fletcher Mackle and just eat crow and say, oh my goodness, good for him. But I don't see it. But the reason why I changed that blurb and picked the Saints to win is because when it comes down to it, this isn't really, this game, the season may be more about who's playing quarterback, but this game in particular is about Sean Payton. And when Sean Payton's back is against a wall, I'm going with Sean Payton nine times out of ten. And the Saints' backs are firmly pressed against a cement, cinder, block wall. They have got to win this football game. So we'll see what happens. Um, I got a feeling you're going to see a great, great effort by the defense. And I got a feeling we're going to see more Taysom than we've seen. And what I'd like to see is that at least Taysom get... We, it's clear he's not going to start, but what I'd like to see is Taysom get series at a time instead of a couple plays here and there at a time, and maybe at least that might change things. The Saints need a change of pace, and what I saw, I went back and watched the game last night, and what bothered me more than anything, and, and Trevor Simeon had his moments, and I will say that he, he played better than what I saw when I originally watched the game live. But what bothers me more than anything, and I go back to what I said on Monday, is his pace. He has got to pick up his pace. There were so many times in the fourth quarter, and at really at, at the end of the first half, when there is no there's no innate there's no innate clock that quarterbacks have, that good quarterbacks have. So many times down by two touchdowns, and I watch this over and over again. On the replay, you're losing by two touchdowns, and the play clock in this, you're talking about with eight, nine minutes left. They got the ball back with 10 minutes left, down by two touchdowns, and went and scored and ended up going for it, I mean, kicking the field goal on fourth and go from the one. After you ran five minutes off the clock, you cannot, Drew Brees would have never taken, and I hate comparing quarterbacks to Drew, Drew Brees, but Drew Brees a successful quarterback. This is what you get. You don't have to be as good as him, but you have to know how to run a game like he does. And to run five minutes off of a clock, and then you kick a field goal, can't do that. There were so many times when he would run the play clock down to four or five seconds. You're losing by two touchdowns in the second half of the fourth quarter. You can't do that. you got to run up to the line. Know in your head what you're going to do. Screen passes. He turns around and looks and, and overshoots Mark Ingram. He throws the ball past the tips of the, of the receivers. He made some really good throws. But he also made some throws. He throws in a triple coverage to Kevin White at one point. Now, luckily, Kevin White was able to get his hands on it. Probably should have caught the football. But the fact that you're throwing in a triple coverage. Then on the two-point conversion, I watched it again. And he is determined that he was going to throw it to Mark Ingram there. When I believe it was Callaway standing in the back of the end zone by himself. Or certainly with separation. Didn't make the right read. So, I probably, after two days, if there's anything I've softened on, is I've lessened the blame on Simeon, but I still put it squarely on his shoulders. And that's something that is going to have to improve going forward. Will it? I'm not confident. But I am confident in Sean Payton. And so if I had to take a line on whether the Saints were going to make the playoffs or not right now, I I predicted 9 and 8 before the season. I'm somewhere between 8 and 9 and 9 and 8. Nine and eight probably get you in with seven teams. And a mediocre, I mean, you, t- you take the top of the pack off and the teams that are going to win the division, and you got three more teams that are going to go to the playoffs. Nine and eight is almost certainly going to be good enough, which I wouldn't have thought four or five weeks ago. But even eight and nine might be good enough if you're at the top of the tiebreaker list. But you can't count on that. So you got to win this week. Let's get into it with Juan Kincaid, again, of Fox 8, and uh, his thoughts. And, uh, you know, one thing that's great about Juan is he gets to spend a lot of time with Deuce McAllister. They do some great things at Fox 8. I love... One thing I, I've enjoyed about this podcast is I've been able to get on a lot of the local sportscasters. And I think all of our sportscasters around here do a great job. You know, I've been, known Doug Muton at WWL for, for quite some time, um, and... Uh, WWL does a great job. Fletcher Mackle's coming on Monday. I think WDSU does a great job. Um, it helps that they have a Shaw grad. Uh, Sharif Ishak is on there. So just a little plug for the fighting Shaw Eagles. But in uh, Fox 8, they have a wonderful cast of characters over there. We had Garland Gillen on last week, Wine um, on today. We'll try to get Sean Fazan on and, and Chris Hagan on at some point in the near future. And uh, they do all kinds of stuff over there. They have a lot of shows on, uh, I think, Monday nights and uh, I know Thursday nights they have a show, and then I think, and then Friday they got the prep football show. But uh, they also have an overtime podcast, and Juan was telling me they're up to 240-something episodes in about a year. So that's pretty impressive. So let's go to it, right to the guest line, and see what he has to say. Here on the Datitude Podcast, Juan Kincaid of Fox Eight is here to join us, and welcome to uh, to Datitude, Juan. Your first appearance here. It's, it's we should have had you on a, a little before this. No big deal. I appreciate it. Thanks, lot. Um, want to jump right into the Saints, and and obviously it's kind of uh, a weird part of the season. We knew this stretch coming up would be tough, right? We we knew yeah. the Tennessee, Philadelphia, uh, you know, Buffalo, Dallas stretch would be tough. Here we are in the midseason, and we're still trying to figure out what this team really is.
1: Yeah, I mean, I just think there's been so much unknown and uncertainty about the football team since the season started. You know, it begins with the quarterback position. Who's going to be your starter there? Jameis wins the position out in the lab, really the last couple games of preseason play. And then you get into the season, and you don't have Michael Thomas, and you have other injuries. You have suspensions you're dealing with. So there's been so much uncertainty with the football team as you've gone through this I guess first half of the football season, a 17-week season. But I think what you can be, um, you feel good about is that they've come through this first half of the winning record. They played some good football. They've lost some games. They all feel they should have won. Most recently, obviously, the last two games. And so, I still think there's a bit of unknown about this football team. But I think what is understood is that their margin for error is is very very small. They can't afford to not have a good day on defense, and they can't afford to have have turnovers and. You know the things that used to be the football team—they can't, they don't have the um, the ability to recover from a lot of things that happen negatively that we saw in the game last week at Tennessee. So I think you're encouraged by what you've seen so far because it still is kind of feels like it's being all put together as they go along here. But um, you're discouraged by the fact that you're not going to have Michael Thomas for the rest of the season. Um, you still got kicking issues, and they don't seem like they're going to be solved anytime soon. And, but I think the one thing that is a constant. You have Sean Payton, and he's navigated through so many things. This football team over the years, he's been through, and been here with the team. So you feel good about that that he can get you through another issue and get this team onto the
0: playoffs. Now yeah, I agree, I agree wholeheartedly. I actually <laughs> wrote it. that's kind of what I wrote in my NFL picks column this morning. I had a tough time trying to 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 go through this game coming up this week, and um, you know, really originally I had written I really thought the Eagles would win, and I kind of went through and thought about it and thought about, it. and then. It came down to Sean Payton, and when Sean Payton's back is against the wall, he usually try. He usually finds a way to bring this team where they need to be, and that is the one constant for sure. And so, when you're having trouble figuring out who's going to do what, when your back's against the wall, you you got to count on the guy that's been here for 16 years, right?
1: Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, he's, what has he not dealt with since he's been the head coach of this team? I mean, hurricanes, uh, displacement. COVID, uh, I mentioned Hurricanes. Yeah, I right. Mean, having to pick up and move someplace and still be a winning franchise. They've been very good on the road this year, this year and should have won last week's game in Tennessee. So th- there's nothing that he hasn't faced him before that he, want, that he that he hasn't been able to deal with in a positive way and team over the hump. We all know Sean Payton hates dealing with kickers, and that's probably his biggest issue right now is can he find someone, does he have anybody on his team, and bringing in Maher yesterday, that can be consistent and that they can rely on to make a simple field goal to win football games. You know, his press conference at the end of the Tennessee Titans game was pretty telling. He was so disgusted by the fact that they should have won that game if not for two missed extra points. I mean, something as simple as that. I mean, again, Sean Payton's done so many things right with the football team, but the one thing he cannot do is play the game for the players. They have to get out there and do the work themselves. He can give them the game plan. If they follow it correctly and play well, they're going to win the game. So there's nothing that gets by him that he hasn't dealt with before. He has the experience on everything he's dealing with now. So I trust, in Sean Payton, we trust, I guess you could say, it's pretty accurate.
0: The one thing that hurts, though, is kind of going back to what you said right off the bat was, to me – you know, you're, if, if you could map out a schedule, you know, you're looking at the schedule and you say, okay, where do you want to be at the nine-week yeah. point? You probably would have said, okay, we, we really kind of need to be six and three, five and four is acceptable. But now that you're five and four, and you, look, you look back. You look at the games that you won and lost and how this season could be so much different. And yeah. the games that you lose, the Giants, you know, the Falcons, the Panthers, are, the team had co. I mean, yeah, you, you're decimated with COVID. So, I mean, you can understand that one. But then giving away game last, like it did last week, to me, I don't want to come back. And we were talking about how maybe we'd, we'd look back at the Giants game, and that would be the one that we'd look back on. But now there are four games There really, you could look at any of these four and think, man, the Saints really could be 8-1 right now. And I think that's what, that's what hurts more than anything if you're a Saints fan. Well,
1: I think you're right. But I think if you flip it around, Jim, and look at it, they weren't expected to be Tampa to open in the season. Uh, if you look at the schedule, you'd say they wouldn't win in Seattle if Russell Westbrook is playing. I'm sorry, Russell Wilson is playing. Seattle's traditionally not a good place for them to go to. The weather was terrible. It wasn't as bad as it was supposed to be. So they, got, they really stole two games that they weren't expected to win. And then you say, okay, you should beat the Giants. You should beat Atlanta. You know, teams like that in Carolina. I feel like the Carolina-Atlanta games are always a crapshoot every year because there's such un, there's such familiarity between all the four teams that it's, it's really hard to say, well, I mean, this team should win. I mean, Atlanta wins against the Saints, and they get blown out last week uh, against the Cowboys. You know, every year you're going to have those games where you're going down the schedule saying, okay, that should be a win, that should be a win, that should be a win. And I have this confidence with Deuce every year. You know, he's pretty adamant about which games the Saints are going to definitely win. And on that list this year were the Giants, um, Atlanta, you know, games like that. Uh, He thought they'd win... Against Carolina, obviously, I just think it's it's so unpredictable every year. And and it, again, this Saints team has such a small margin for error that if they make the littlest mistake, it can come back to bite them and end up losing the game, which is what happened in the Giants game. What happened in Atlanta? Can't get off the field, and and then against Tennessee, you miss the extra points. And so I just it, it's hard. It really is hard to win a game in the NFL when you when your margin of error is so small.
0: There's no question this team has. Maybe even a smaller margin error than than other teams of their ilk. I mean, you know, yeah. It, 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 you, look, to me, the it it's still hard on me because I, I was tough on James to, to start the season. I wasn't sure that he was the, the right guy for the job, but he proved that he was. And he he would just develop it. It seemed to me that he had finally realized, I uh, finally figured out this is my team. I figured out this whole thing. I got to the point where I felt confident in him. He looked, I thought he looked great the last couple of weeks that he was in there. And then he goes down with the, with the knee injury. And to me, even though they found a way to win that game, this team has really been reeling ever since trying to figure out what to do without him. Yeah, no, I agree.
1: And uh, a couple points, you know, I wasn't the biggest um, rah-rah supporter of Jameis when he first got here. I just thought, you know, A quarterback is going to be who he is. He's always going to revert back to the player that got him to the NFL, to what they're most comfortable with. And he has been a better quarterback this year than I thought he would be. Having said that, I also thought he was the quarterback on this football team, best pure quarterback. Because Taysom can play the position, but Taysom is not a quarterback full-time. And so you're asking a guy to come in there part-time, do the job, be successful, and we saw last year a number of instances, I mean, Sean Payton talked about it in the post-game press conferences, that there are certain things that Taysom doesn't know how to do as well as as a regular quarterback would that's playing the position every week, like a fast two-minute offense at the end of the half. He wasn't up to speed on that, and you saw it in the game. So um, I really feel for Jameis when he went down with the injury because you know how hard he worked to get back here. You know how much You know, this guy could have gone to another team and fought for a starting position coming out of Tampa Bay. But no, he decided, I want to take a step back, figure out what's going on with me, learn from two guys, and Drew Brees and Sean Payton, that have been there, done that, won it all. I want to learn and then take my shot the next year. Because the money's going to be different if he does well this year. And so I respect that. He recognized where he was in his career. And needed to make that next step, I've got to take a step back and learn. From two guys that that have been there and done that, so really feel for him when he went down with the injury. He could just see it in his face, like man, what do I have to do to to kind of get ahead here? And and now he's back at square one again.
0: There's no question, and and to watch Sean Payton in the press game, the post game press conference that day, yeah, um, it was clear that you know that he has feelings for this kid, and I call him a kid because I'm an old dude, um, but he has feelings, he, he has feelings for this kid because. <clears throat> You know, Sean Payton, if anything else, he's kinda like a quarterback whisperer, right? I mean, Drew is Drew Brees a clear Hall of Famer. Would Drew Brees been a clear Hall of Famer somewhere else? We'll never somewhere else we'll never know. Well no. There there's there's no doubt that he reached his fullest potential because of the man that was there. And I really believe that and maybe Jameis Winston will get another chance. Maybe. Um, but you know, it was clear that he had grown in in this such a short period of time because of the man that that's there with the visor on.
1: Well, there's no doubt about that. I and mean, he was a quarterback in college and a quarterback in the pros. And he does his best work with the guy that's taking the snap on the center. You know, you look at the success he's had when Breeze wasn't there, Teddy Bridgewater, fantastic. Taysom Hill and his stars, what, 4-1, 4-0? Right. I mean, every quarterback he's put in this position has had success. No one thought Trevor Simeon would be what Trevor Simeon is right now. He is not the reason why they've lost their two games. He's the reason why they've been in their last two games. Granted, slow starts at the beginning, not necessarily his fault, but fast starts at the end, in the game with a chance to win. Trevor Simeon's been that guy. He's been what Sean Payton has ass of his quarterbacks, hasn't turned the ball over, has been consistent with his throws, given his receivers a chance to catch balls, which they have dropped a lot of, and at the end of the day, given his football team a chance to win every game that he's been the starter in, and they played. So I think all of that has to do with Sean Payton. Would Drew Brees be what Drew Brees was with the Saints with another team? Who knows? But he was talented, had all the skill set, but sometimes it takes the right quarterback and the right coach to bring out the best in the player. And we saw it with Belichick and Brady. Now, granted, Brady's going on to win a championship at Tampa Bay, but that combination, it still worked in New England. So, yeah, t- uh, Sean Payton is, has done it with everybody he's worked with. And I'm not surprised by that because it's it's the the process – uh, Breeze always says time on task. Sean Payton does all those things with his quarterbacks.
0: Brady also had the benefit of Tampa Bay with maybe one of the best receiving cores we, we've ever seen. So I mean, I'm not taking yeah. anything away from the <coughs> OAT, but uh, yeah, I'm just saying, yeah, uh, you know, if uh, if 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 Brees and Breeze has had some great receiving cores, but I mean, uh, man, the one he had there.
1: If, if, if Breeze had a defense for the yeah. majority of his career here, this he defense. had more than one reign. This, this defense, or in, you know, in 09, their defense wasn't great, no. but they had they were opportunistic. They turned the other team over so many times. The interceptions, some of guys back there, they were fantastic at what they did best, which was give the offense extra possessions. But if he had this defense here, we'd be talking about two or three rings or at least playing for two or three more times with four rings. And so it's it's amazing what Breeze was able to do with this franchise from 06 on with no you, defense.
0: Or if you don't have uh, a no-call or the Minneapolis. Well, that's a, that's that, that's but, a few but other that's things, a, yeah. <laughs> it's okay. Well, well yeah, that, that, you know, I'm still that's, a little a few peeved. Other things. Yeah, Juan, I'm still a little peeved about that. Juan Kinkade <laughs> here on the, the Datitude podcast here on a, on a Wednesday morning. Um, well, you kind of led into my, my main topic of the week. Okay, and I heard you ask Deuce in the two-minute warning on Monday, is there no debate that Trevor Simeon is the best quarterback for this uh, this franchise right now? And um, Deuce hesitated, <laughs> and I think Deuce was playing the politically correct game. I, I absolutely. Get, I, I get where you, where you're coming from, um, and um, whether we agree or not, it doesn't matter. But. I'd like to get your take on on Trevor Simeon because I've been pretty hard on him. I, I, gotta, I mean, whether you've listened or not listened, to, the listeners know how hard. In fact, I've been super hard on him, and I've actually softened a little bit since Monday. I still think that, that he, uh, he needs to find a way to pick up his pace. I get that he's only started for two games. But what bothers me, I guess, is there's no emotion. There's no fire and not just him but it seems like the whole team just kind of goes about the motions two games in a row now they've kind of like just not started to play not not got the pace going until they've had to with two touchdowns down and yeah. now he played a lot better when they were two touchdowns down both games he played much better when they were two touchdowns down so to me that kind of like camouflages a little bit how big of a problem he, to me he's been and I'm not saying Taysom Hill is – I agree with you. Taysom Hill is not a guy that you want running your franchise at quarterback for a long period of time. But I think if this stretch of uh, time, he might be the best option. But clearly you don't think that way.
1: Well, um, I, I do think there's something to be said about a quarterback being able to motivate his troops, get his players going from the opening whistle. Uh, Drew Brees is very good at doing that, but he did it for 16 years. I mean, it was a long time. Um, but it, but he also did it from day one. That first year, they went to the NFC Championship game for the first time in franchise history. So Breeze, obviously, his approach was different than, than Trevor's approach, which is different than Taysom's approach, which is different than Jameis's approach. Um, but having said that, Trevor is not catching his passes. He's not dropping his passes. If the guys around him played at a higher level from the time he became the starter then maybe you would see this team getting off to a faster start. Um, so I'm not going to put all the, all the problems on him. I think he's been everything you want a quarterback to be. He hasn't turned the ball over. He hasn't forced it. Now, the two things I would say he needs, he needs to be better at, the two-minute drill, um, was it against the Atlanta game, I guess it was? Where yeah. No, I'm sorry, I guess to Tennessee, where he didn't throw the ball away and took right. two sacks. When they had no timeout.
0: And in the first half, to me, you tore it end of the first half. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah in the first half. So, it's Tennessee. So, that, that was, to me, that's really the only issue I've had with him is his clock recognition, game management at that point. Um, them falling behind is not on him, I don't think. I think it's more on the players around him, not playing up to the level he, that they need him to play. I mean, especially in the, the game before Tennessee, that so many drop passes. You know, he, all he can do is throw the ball where it needs to be thrown. And he has done a good job putting the ball in places where, only the receiver can get it where they should catch it and the other guy cannot, and they haven't played around him very well. Um, But I also think the defense needs to be better. You know, they listen, it's unfair to ask this defense to be perfect every game. It's unfair. But you know what? Three years ago, four years ago, that's exactly what they would ask the offense for 12 years. You got to be perfect to help us out. So, which was unfair, but they were that good. So I think this defense needs to be better. Um, they haven't given up the chunk plays, but the crossing routes are starting to kill them. Teams are recognizing where this team's weak, weak spots are, and they aren't making a quick enough adjustment over the course of 60 minutes. They've been good, but there's, uh, you know, these slow starts also on the defense as well. So I just think the entire team has to be better from the, from the opening kickoff.
0: I will say that, you know, when Teddy came in and, and was quarterback, the defense was almost perfect. If you remember back then, um, yeah. One of the things that that really helped Teddy, I think, is especially in that Seattle game when he came in. They were they were phenomenal, and uh, they've been very good at times this year, but they've also had some lackluster performances. But going yeah. back to, to to Trevor, one, you know, you talk about the two minute drill, and it, it, it's to me what worries me. I guess is not just the two minute drill, but I watched I rewatched the, the the game last night in the condensed form, and you're down by two touchdowns. And again, even though he let him back, I mean, I'm watching the play clock go down to five or six every play, and the clock just tick away. And it just kind of goes to show. Again, you're right, he hasn't turned the ball over. Um, he's put passes for the most part. I mean, a couple he frustrates me on the screen pass because he turns around and just kind of throws it <laughs> instead of looking where Mark Ingram was the other day. But just, you've got to have a better awareness of the clock. And to me, that is a, it should be an eight and a quarterback. And Jameis had that. Teddy has that. Um, you look, and I think even Taysom has that. He moves with with a faster pace. I mean, this team can't afford to be wasting time when they've, they're falling behind. It just, just the, the pace is what bothers yeah. me more than anything.
1: Yeah. And you, and you hope that pace Will start to pick up as he's started more off, uh, more going forward this season. Again, I the question I asked the Deuce was, has he done anything wrong to take himself out of the starter's position? I don't think he has. Uh, I don't think he's done anything to that's 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 blare, glaring. That like you say, okay, we got to make a change here. I think he's been everything he wanted to be in a quarterback. Maybe the pace needs to be picked up a bit. That's that's fine. But in terms of mechanics, in terms of knowing where the ball needs to go before he, before it snaps in terms of recognizing what the defense is putting at you and getting, getting out of that call, uh, I think he's done a good job with that. And I don't have a problem with them shuffling in Taysom on certain situations like, for example, on the two-point two point conversion, I would have thought that Taysom would have been in there as opposed to to Trevor. Uh, but then when they move back five yards, then, you know, it, Trevor's your best option, I think, there. So... I don't have a problem with the way Sean Payton's playing the, playing the quarterbacks right now. I think that's the least of their problems right now. I think there's so many other issues around the quarterback that got to get fixed first.
0: One thing I certainly would like to see is even if – okay, so we're going mean, to – look, again, I said this on Monday. It doesn't matter what my opinion is or your opinion is. I mean, I think Sean Payton is
1: <laughs> – Oh, fixed, it matters, Jim. It matters. <laughs> right. It, it matters to
0: somebody. He doesn't care what we think. I mean, and that's okay. <laughs> You're right. Uh, but but yeah. I think he's he is he seems committed to, to sticking with – Send me in at least for now, um, we'll see what happens if they, if they lose another game I hope we hope that's not the case. But oh, yeah. I, what I would like to see is at least when you put Taysom in, I'd like to see at least a full series. I mean, they, you know, you put them in Atlanta, boom, pass 12 yards, boom, pass 14 or 15 yards. We yeah. take him out, Simeon comes in, gets drilled in the back and fumbles, and Atlanta scores, and to me that was the difference in the game. I'm not blaming that on Simeon at all. I'm just saying, I would like to see what could he do for at least an entire series. Maybe we can get some kind of, you know, a change of pace kind of thing. Yeah.
1: Well, I think that this, so I, I agree with you. In fact, on that, that series you're talking about, I was like, man, why did they take Taysom out? And then, of course, the next play, he gets sacked, fumbled, and then turned the ball over. But I also believe if you've got a quarterback that has a good rhythm going, and I always hated this about Sean Payton. Sometimes when Breeze had a rhythm going, yes. he would put in Taysom just to change the pace. I'm like, geez, 100%. don't do, and it would screw it up. And the next thing you know, the drive ends. I'm always a believer that if the quarterback has a good rhythm going, then you stick with that quarterback. You know, I don't mind a change of pace every now and then, but recognize the situation and stick. Because a lot of times, you take that, take him out for one series, put him back in, he's lost his rhythm, Agreed. and then Trevor. And Trevor, I believe he's a guy that needs to get into a rhythm. You hang with him and let him go. Let him keep on going. Get that confidence built, and, and let's see where it goes. And every now and then throw, then throw Taysom in there if you need to. Don't just throw him in there just to have a gimmick play, right. to change, change the look of everything. If this defense is having trouble stopping what you're doing right now, then keep on going until they stop it. That's kind of my belief, but I'm no coach. And again, what do, what do, I, what do they care about?
0: <laughs> look, I agree wholeheartedly. And, and look... I think throughout his career, if there is one negative on Sean Payton, besides the way he talks to Cat Terrell, that's a whole another story. Uh, but uh, that's a joke, by the way. Um, if, if there's one negative is sometimes he outthinks himself. I mean, absolutely. He, he is determined. I've got this play. It's going to work. And here we are in the middle of the third quarter. I haven't got this play in yet. By God, I've got to fit it in. <laughs> I mean, it's frustrating sometimes.
1: Oh, Listen. All the time. It's fourth and one, and you're going to do a fake handoff to the fullback and a pitch to the left side, go six yards back to get one yard. It's like, are you kidding me? But, again, more often than not, he gets it right. So, uh, I guess he deserves the benefit of the doubt, but still doesn't make it less frustrating.
0: When a genius knows he's a genius, sometimes it can be a problem, right? Um, look, When wanna... people
1: telling him he's a genius, that's the problem. That's right. You start hearing, reading, reading your own clippings.
0: Well, let's talk about some mid rod Walker had his midseason awards out this morning. Okay. And uh, you know, I thought that they, they were he had some interesting things in there, the good, the bad, and the ugly. I mean, there, there's no look, we can talk about quarterback all day long. There's no question that this offense run, runs around Alvin Kamara. And when he's not in there, yeah. it's a major difference. So, you know, as much grief as I gave to Simeon on Monday morning, he was without I mean, we didn't even talk about Teron Armstead, but when you're without AK-41, there you got a big problem. It changes your game plan because
1: he is the focal point of this offense. He is the reason why defenses make adjustments on every play call when he's in the game. And so when he's not there, it, it lessens the load the defense has to worry about. That's one less weapon. That's the main weapon they don't have to worry about. Like, there's no Michael Thomas. If Michael Thomas is there, then they still have something to have to kind of game plan for But when you take Alvin out and Kamara and um and Michael Thomas is already out, and you're struggling at the tight end positions, that's less of a threat. I mean, what do you have left? Now, granted, Mark Ingram was serviceable. And to be in his 11th season in the NFL and still playing at this level, it says a lot about the player and how he's taking care of his body. Yes. And, you know, the Saints are getting a guy that basically walked in here from Houston and was playing well there and came on over here and picked up the ball and kept on running. So they're blessed to be able to have him And from what I was told by Deuce is that if it were a playoff game, Kamara could have played, but don't risk it right now. So I just, uh, I mean, it's pretty obvious to teams on the other side that if Alvin Kamara's not playing, it will be an easier day for them defensively when it comes to game planning and scheming for the Saints offense because you're going against a backup quarterback who is still trying to find his way. You're going against an offensive line that's had to be shuffled so many times and credit to the Saints coaching staff on how they've continued to, play well in that unit with the offensive line. I mean, your left side of the offensive line didn't even recognize last Sunday. So, but no Camara makes it easier for the defense.
0: Absolutely. It's gotta be frustrating for Ingram because now he's, he's only been a part of two victories all season. I mean, it's, 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 well, it's got to be super, super frustrating for him. But look, I will say this about him. I, i I'd love the move, bringing him back. And he brought, in, he brought in energy to this offense, and that, I think they need to try to find a way to seize upon that. And uh, it's kind of like the old, I'm not as good as I once was, but I'm as good once as I ever was. I mean, that's kind of what yeah. Ingram looks like. He looks like he's got new energy and new fervor uh, coming in playing and just plowing into the, the opposing defenses. Yeah,
1: he brings energy, he brings leadership, and he brings an attitude with running the football. He still runs the ball now in his 11th yes. year like he did in a rookie, and um, that's encouraging to see. That's why he's stuck around for so long and is still effective. You know, Le'Veon Bell just got released by the that's Ravens right. yesterday, and they're probably not too far off in age. I don't know the age difference, different, probably pretty close. But Le'Veon's averaging two yards a carry, had two touchdowns in five games, 83 yards, something like that not near the running back that Mark Ingram has shown that he still is right now. So
0: Two different uh, attitudes. It was a great pickup. Two different attitudes. Yeah, two
1: different attitudes. Yeah, no doubt about that. You're right about that. One guy's expecting expected to be handed to him, and the other guy realized I got to still go out there and get it and, and make it happen in Ingram. And so it was a great pickup. It was a, a right-on-time pickup for this team. It couldn't have come at a better time. When you knew, uh, And, of course, they did it before they even knew Alvin Kamara was going to be out.
0: right. I love Deuce's attitude towards the whole uh his record getting broken, by the way. I mean it's yeah. like, hey, my record's I getting kinda, broken. Yeah, I mean that, that cat, a little bit. That cat is something, yeah, I, I noticed. Uh but that cat's something special, man. You gotta like it, it didn't phase him and and you know what? I mean, some people say that and you don't necessarily believe him. I completely believe him. I'm, he's like, Yeah, I don't care. I mean, he he, he yeah. knows his part of this franchise and and that he's he's part of this whole thing and will be for as long as he wants to.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, when they released Mark Ingram, you know, Deuce had to be back in the background going, okay, my my record's safe. That's right. (laughs) A little little time longer. And then when they bring him back, he's probably like, darn it. (laughs) But he would never say that. Right. You know, and Mark Ingram really credited Deuce for helping him get to where he is now and to break this record. He, you know, he was um, thankful and and praised Deuce for Cows in his post-game press conference. And you could feel that that was really true words, not just not just uh player speak then, yeah. yeah. But Deuce, I think Deuce understood understands that, you know, you look at the number and it's a number that's not that high. Right. Um, so it was eventually going to be broken either way. And, and better to be broken by a guy that he has a a lot of mutual, there's a lot of mutual respect between the two players. So, and a guy that he really respects and, and, and SEC one,
0: boy, country boy. And one day Mark Ingram's record will be broken. So, I mean, it is. What Absolutely. It'll he, be
1: broken. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he's going to try and pad it as much as he can right now, but it won't be padded that much. The world won't be broken. You're right.
0: The defense, and it, I mean, uh, one thing this team has is clear MVPs. AK is clearly the MVP of the offense. Yeah. And there is the no the doubt Davis. that 56 is the the MVP of the defense. <clears throat> this dude is playing at another level. When he hits he people, is. it sounds differently. <laughs> it does. It
1: does. That's a good point, Jim. It does. I mean, he's just... You know, he, he was great last year. He's been great since he's been there. And we, I remember we used to talk about Jonathan Velma. If there was right. another guy that could go on that Dome Patrol, it was Velma. But, man, Demario Davis, put him on there as well. The Dome 100%. Patrol increases by two more. He's been fantastic. Everything he wanted to be, he's great in coverage. He's great in run, run, uh, run, uh, run, uh, run defense. I mean, he is just – and he's a great human being as well. The yeah. things he does off the field for this community um, stand out tremendously. Uh, a great father, a great husband. I mean, he's just a great person to have on your team. And we asked the question last year with Deuce McCat when Drew Brees decided to officially retire, who would this mantle be passed to the leader of the football team? And we started seeing snippets of it last year with DeMario taking over the huddle, pregame huddle and stuff like that. But you thought, okay, that's just the kind of a gimmicky thing. They do it in the game. Somebody has to do it. Why not let him do it? But there's no doubt about who's the leader of the football team. And I know Kamara is the leader on the offense, but Demario's the leader of this football team. I mean, it is, it is him to me without a doubt, and he's just taken it and ran with it. Not, not every player can be a leader, and I think that every player on this team looks towards him for leadership and guidance.
0: Obviously two different, I mean, one's a quarterback <coughs> and you think finesse and all that, and one pounds the heck out of you. But really, when you kind of watch them and their demeanor, Drew Brees and Demario Davis are kind of a lot alike, don't you think?
1: Yeah, I think they lead by example. I mean, yeah. you know, DeMario, Demario Davis is Ray Lewis over again. Um, yeah. I agree They, they just they, they just specially built players uh, that not only have it physically – but have it mentally. Drew Brees wasn't the most physically dominating species of a player you'd look at, but mentally he would win the football game before he stepped on the field. He knew where players had to be. You know, I tell this story all the time, Jim, that, you know, the smartest football player I've ever been around was Deuce McAllister, is Deuce McAllister. I remember back at White Sulphur Springs when they were practicing in West Virginia with training camp, sitting in the stands in the end zone next to Jim Henderson and next to Deuce McAllister. And to listen to Deuce, just dissect every play before it was even snapped. He knew where every player had to be before the ball was snapped, offense and defense. He knew the play call. He knew what the defense was supposed to do. If there was a mistake, he knew why it happened. That's who Demario Davis is. When he's in the game, he knows where every player is supposed to be, what their job was supposed to be, where you know how it's supposed to play out, where the mistakes were on defense. He knows what the offense is going to be. Just a smart smart football player. And uh, he will be, and I'm on, I'm on the Hall of Fame committee for the voting. Without a doubt, he'll be a first-time, 1st oh, first ballot Hall of Famer with the Saints. And if he continues at this pace, he'll be an NFL Hall of Famer, I believe, because his numbers just tell you that he is. I mean, he, to me, he's the most underrated linebacker, defensive player in the NFL for the last two years. Doesn't I get agree. enough credit. And it's mainly because the Saints haven't been what we thought they would be.
0: And maybe maybe if they uh, turn and have a great second half, who knows? Maybe he'll get the recognition he deserves. But I think he's, I think he's starting to get it. Um, I think you're you right. Know, yeah. It, you know what you say about Deuce? Uh, you know gets gets me. Mike Hall said something to me a few weeks ago about how, you know, Mike is trying to be as prepared as possible. He comes in with all this yeah. stuff and blah blah blah. And Deuce walks in with his two phones and says, "Okay, let's go," because he already yeah. knows. He already knows. It's kind of crazy. You know, I wish I could be that smart. I have well, to go. I mean,
1: I I I find it amazing when I ask Deuce questions on the Black mode Review Show. And uh, well, first off, we sit in the office about an hour before we do that show, yeah. just talking football. Like Sean's usually looking at tape; he's gonna be uh, breaking down. Yeah. And Deuce will come over and correct things that Sean's about to say. He's like, no, that this is. It's amazing. He can look at the play, and it's he's like a preacher. Like right. everything that it must be true. <laughs> <He's> <laughs> You're not gonna doubt from the him. Pulpit. No, I'm not going to doubt him because he's he he's he's played more football. He knows more football than I will ever know in my lifetime, from actual experience. And did you know that Deuce McAllister almost didn't play football in college?
0: I did not. He know almost
1: that. played so- played soccer. He was Olympic development soccer team. Really? Yes, absolutely. So we were talking about that on uh, on Monday in the office. He goes, yeah. um... I can't remember why he ended up not going, but he got invited out to Colorado Springs where they had the Olympic trials. And uh, he, he did not, wasn't able to go for some reason. You know what it was something about, I don't know what it was, but, but yeah, he was that good of a soccer player that he had options coming out of high school.
0: We're going to chose football. We're gonna have to ask him about that. That's, that's going to be an off season yeah. and off season yeah. uh, podcast interview. Um, well, let's talk about, you know, we talked about the good, the MVPs, but you talked about the, the special teams. Look, Gillikin has been fantastic as a partner. so yes, that yes. has been that has been the bright spot of the special team. He's come in. Not only is he picked up where Morstead left off, because you could see mm-hmm. Morstead kind of dropping off a little bit. Yeah, he's been Good. he's he's better. He's almost with with he's almost what Morstead was early on in his career. Not quite there, but mm-hmm. but almost. But the rest of the special teams, look, I love Deontay Harris. He hasn't had a chance to to break one this year. He's he's battled injuries for sure. But the kicking game, man. We, I've just—it it reminds me of kind of, you know, if you remember the days, kind of in between, uh, after Morton Anderson left, and we tr- struggled. John, with John Carney, and, and, and all that's, yeah. But I, it's, it's, it's so frustrating because we're so spoiled, and we've had a lot of, gr- we've had a, some great kickers here, and we've had really consistency at that position for for a while, and you don't realize how important that position is. You don't? Do you need
1: one? I mean, it really is that simple. And right now, the Saints are uh, like a rudderless ship. Right now, they don't—they can't figure out the kicking game. And when it, you just when you think you got it figured out, um, they miss simple things like extra points. I mean, the ball doesn't get any closer than that for a kicker. And for him, it's three—three three of eight extra points. That's telling. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. And I know Sean Payton has patience whatsoever for kickers at all. And he has been blessed. I mean, Garrett Hartley was fantastic when he was here, but Garrett Hartley can't even get a sniff of the tryout now for, for, for whatever reasons there are. Um, Will Lutz, I told Deuce that we're going to have this kicker conundrum until Will Lutz decides to come back, when he's able to come back next year. Right. And so and he comes back as the same kicker he was before he got injured. So you just don't know. But what you do know is that this, bad, this struggle of a kicking game is going to continue to cost this team victories, cost this team games. When it comes down to clutch kicks, it's going to make Sean Payton change how he coaches when he gets close to a field goal or does he have to go for it on a fourth and three that have not having the right kicking game changes how you call a football game when it comes to third and fourth down.
0: You know, and you talk about that. And I think specifically if you think about fourth and goal at the one and they're down by yeah. 11 points and, <laughs> yeah. if you, and I know you're not going to get him to say this but if you think about it, the reason why Peyton probably kicked the field goal there is I don't want to score a touchdown, get a two-point conversion, be down by three, and leave it up to this kicker when the game's on the line yeah. and and lose like that. I mean, so really, as, as, that is so unshawn Peyton-like to not go for it on fourth and goal from the one right there. But th- And that genius is mine. I bet you that was, that's what he was thinking about ahead of time.
1: Well, you're probably right. But, again, it makes you change how you're going to play call um, on short and short situations, whether it be goal line situations or in the middle of the field or in, you know, suspect field goal range. So it does change what, you, what you're going to do. But I also believe in that situation you needed two scores. So let's go and get the field goal out of the way because eventually he has to trust his kicker and he can make a freaking field goal. That's why you're here. If you can't make the field goal, as Sean Payton says, we're going to look at the position, see who's not doing what they're supposed to do and make some changes. And that's where you make the changes. So you bring Maher in this week or yesterday, who was on the team at the preseason, but then gets injured and goes on IR. You like them, obviously, so bring him back. Now he's healthy and see what happens. Sometimes lighting a fire up under your current kicker is not a bad thing. It gets them to, to refocus and say, you know what? If I don't get my stuff together here, then there's going to be a change made. I see where the change will happen because he's right over
0: next to me. You know what the sad thing is? I, I see so much potential in this kid, Brian Johnson. I really do. I mean, he's got a strong leg. He's kind of like, in, in a way, when they brought Will Lutz in, I mean, obviously, young kickers, they struggle. It, it, it only takes one bad kick, really, to shake the confidence. So I, I see the I see the potential in this kid, but you can't use potential when you're in the middle of a season in a playoff run. It just it, and well, it's really what rough to watch.
1: Well, at the end of the day, Jim, this is the guy that was on the practice squad, Chicago Bears. Never kicked in a game before in his life until he came to the Saints. So everything's brand new to him. Pressure situations are brand new to him. You know, um, extra points in a game are brand new to him. What they do in practice has no effect on what they're going to do in the game. You hope one leads to the other, but you just don't know. And right now we're finding out this guy is probably feeling some extra pressure because he's never done a lot of these things before, and he's having to do them now and be successful, and they're going to be mistakes. You just hope the mistakes are minimal and that they don't affect the outcome of a game, but we've seen with the uh, Titans game that it does.
0: Juan Kincaid here on the Dattitude Podcast. Juan, I, before I jump to the pelts for just a brief moment, um, I do want to ask you, so, what do you see for the Saints team the rest of the way? Do you still think this is a playoff team? Obviously, to me, this is the game of the season. I mean, I hate labeling must-wins. Absolutely, wins. They've had a couple must-wins this season. They've won the ones that they've had to win. To me, with Buffalo and Dallas coming in here, you have got to win this football game this weekend.
1: You do, and as Deuce McAllister told me, if you don't win this game this weekend, go ahead and start making those off plans because you're not going to be in the playoffs, and I would agree with that because Philadelphia's a team that's been so up and down this year, but the last time the Saints played them there last year, Jalen Hurts and their offense ran all over the Saints. I don't think it happens this time. I think the Saints get the win in Philadelphia, and I think they play a better football game. I think Kamara's back with them, and that helps the offense, um, but you have to win this game this Sunday, and again, I'm like you, Jim, I don't like putting a, so much pressure on one game, but when you look at the schedule, Cowboys and Buffalo to follow, and then you got difficult games down the line, you still got a lot of the NFC South games to play, and that, 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 the, the South is so unpredictable right now. So you have to win. You need to get some good mojo back on this football team and get back into a winning ways and back into a winning rhythm once again. But I, I picked them to be 7-10 and 10 before the season started. And I'm probably going to stick with that, even though I think they'll win more than seven games. I still think it's going to be a struggle for them to make the playoffs because it's just so much uncertainty with the football team.
0: I don't disagree. Uh, I picked them to be 9-8 and eight for the season, and I really think they're probably a better chance to be 8-9. and nine. Uh, I, I just I, – I think that's – yeah. I, I have a bad – look, I went against my gut. I went against my handicap, and I picked the Saints again, but only because of Sean Payton. <laughs> Because
1: Never, never, never pick the Saints from betting. That's a, that's a rule of mine because it will <laughs> let you down every time. Every time
0: they covered last week, so they covered the, the but, spread last week. But you didn't bet them, did you? No, I didn't. I did. I actually yeah, that's didn't. why. I, <laughs> but that's why I, I why have. I have. <laughs> but I, I don't. I don't. Yeah. Uh, it's it's way less than half that I t- I touched. Yeah, the you got to be really yeah. sure. Um, oh my god. Let, let's let's switch our focus to the the Pelicans, man. We this is just a uh, Debbie Trey Downer Reck, kind of yes. show, yeah. Uh, yeah. The Pelicans look they they have had their their moments at the past week and a half. I, I love what Willie Green's doing, and I, I gotta say, uh, last week uh, I can't remember what game it was up they they just kind of fell apart and kind of quit. And Willie Green let the media know that he's not tolerating that. I loved hearing this young coach. And yeah. they have played differently since he had that press conference. They obviously they they, they blew a big lead again against Washington uh, the other night. But I, I love what this coach is doing, and I have a lot of promise. So let's start with the good. I really love what, the, what this guy has done so far.
1: I do too, and I think this, the Pelicans recognize, and they have to, that a lot of this is going to be this is going to be a lot of learning on the go here. He's never been a head coach before. He's going to make some mistakes. And he's admitted in his press conferences when he's left his, his back, backup players in too long, um, he should have mixed them in with his starters a little bit more. But at the end of the day, every coach in the NBA has to have the players. If you don't have the players, you're not That's going right. to win. You know, I don't care if you're, if you're Brooklyn or if you're Golden State or if you're Minnesota or whatever. You have to have the players to win basketball games and not having Zion, not having Brandon Ingram, That's really hurt this basketball team. You're talking about 50 points out of the lineup every night. And then asking this offense to come up with 50 points with the players you're putting on the court. I mean, Josh Hart, I love him. Great player. But he should be coming off the bench That's right. to strengthen that bench. Um, Devontae Graham, I like him. Good pickup, good three-point shooter. But he doesn't need to be relied on to make 25 points a game. So you saw the difference in this basketball team when Brandon Ingram came back last Saturday. They won the game against Memphis and won it pretty handily. You saw the game against Washington. The first 30 minutes of the game, the Pelicans were fantastic. And then a lid went on the rim. They couldn't make any baskets. Washington comes back and wins the game. I think this team is so much a different team when they have their best players on the court as any NBA team will be when their best players are playing. And so Willie Green... Give him credit. He's done a really good job of coaching this basketball team and putting them in position to win games. They haven't done it yet, but again, that's something this team has to learn to do: win basketball games down the stretch with such a young basketball team. But I love what he's done so far. I think he was the right hire for this basketball team. Um, but again, you got to recognize that you have to take the good with the bad here. And so far, we've had a lot of bad two and thirteen start.
0: How frustra- <clears throat> Excuse me. How frustrating have it been to? The lack of transparency is transparency. I mean, transparency. How do you transparency? Yeah. Let me spell parancy it. Transparency. parency. Let me hold on. Let me. I'm gonna write it out and spell it for myself. Uh, <laughs> on the lack of transparency with with Zion and all the things that's going on in the off season. Uh-huh. Who who's to blame with that? I mean, what what is going on? Why should it come down to that? We're kind of in the same boat that we've been in, and now we don't know when our franchise player is coming back. I mean, you can speculate all you want. Maybe he'll come back in a, in a few weeks. Maybe he'll come back at Mardi Gras. Who knows? But, I mean, obviously, you've got to have this kid out there to be competitive um, with yeah. the team that you have. And it, it's just, <clears throat> you know, it goes to me, that all stems, you got to go to the top, and I'm talking about David Griffin, and it's just frustrating.
1: Well, I, I'm going to say it's, it's, it's both sides. It's David Griffin, it's Zion Williamson. First off, David Griffin hires Stan Van Gundy for one season and then fires him because, as Stan Van Gundy said, they weren't on the same page on what it takes to win the basketball games. Why is, he, why is that coming up at the end of the season when he's fired, and why is that not discussed when he's hired? You right. know, know who you're hiring. Obviously, Stan Van Gundy was the right guy when you hired him, but all of a sudden, because coaches don't change their, their ways of coaching. That's right. They are who they are. You know, their resume tells you what kind of coach they are, what their, t- what their approach is, how, how, fundamentally fundamentally how they're going to go about winning basketball games. You know what they do and how they go about winning games before you hire them. That's why you wanted to interview them.
0: Especially an established so, coach.
1: Especially an established coach. Absolutely. So to me, that's on David Griffin. That's his mistake. You didn't vet the guy well enough. Or... You have a problem with with how they're losing game basketball games, whatever the case may be. That's David Griffin. The whole the whole Zion thing is part David Griffin as well. You came and lied to the fan base. I mean, so, semantics. Okay, fine. He'll be ready uh, this season. But when you said it, it made it sound like he's gonna be ready to start the season. That's what everyone was under the belief of, impression of thinking. That's David Griffin. And now he's backtracking saying, well, that's semantics. I didn't say he to be ready to start the season. Whatever, David. Yeah, you, you did basically. But a little bit deeper I go to where it's Zion's fault. I want to know when the injury happened. And did it happen and he kept it from the team? That's what I want to know. That's what hasn't been revealed to us. And so I don't know if it will be revealed to us by them. So I'm bothered by that. Um, I I think this team will have to get him a full-time chef during the offseason. I agree. A full-time chef and a full-time person to work him out because yeah, i don't yeah. think he's disciplined enough to keep himself in the right kind of shape when he comes back eventually they've got to get him in game playing shape that's only going to happen in games he may be close to the three bills when he comes, like, pounds oh, when he comes back that's, no that, that's that's a lot of weight on his body to be running up and down the court which will lead to more injuries they've got to get him better managed with physically his basketball game is going to be there They've got to get him better managed physically, his weight at a 285, whatever it needs to be, and him physically fit throughout the year. Otherwise, you're going to continue to have these problems, and he's going to end up being – I'm not saying he's going to be a bust, but he's not going to be the player you need him to be. And that's a problem because right now the rest of the NBA is looking at the Pelicans saying this team can't hold up to a franchise player. They can't do right by them. And they're right. They haven't been able to do it yet. And so and they haven't shown they can do right by by, by – uh, by, by uh, him as well, Zion as well. So we'll see.
0: It's much harder to hold on to a franchise player in the NBA and a small market team than it is in in, in the NFL. So, I mean, there's no question about that.
1: Well, I I would say I I agree, but this is why I disagree, because Utah's done it. There have been other small market teams that have done it in basketball. You have to have the right pieces around that player. And you have to have the right coach, you have to have the right management, and some, some, some professional franchises have got it, and some have not. And right now, the Pelicans have not shown that they can handle things in the front office. How many head coaches is this now in the last four years? Um, how many franchise players is this now in the last ten years? Um, you got new ownership for the second time. I mean, there have just been issues with this franchise. It's, the players don't want to come play here. The whole thing, want to come play with Zion and B.I., that's B.S., they right. don't because the franchise doesn't win.
0: Right. Uh, well, by the way, I'm, I'm an expert on three bills, and he's definitely <laughs> three-bill I'm just saying, you know, if anybody yeah. knows what, what the three bills is, it's me. Um, I
1: mean, he's, he's, he's going to have, you know, and this Jim, it's not just a playing weight issue. When he's done playing, we've seen NFL players all the time. They're in great yes. shape. They're 300-pound guys They can get to the quarterback. But when they get out of the game, they don't have that big boy standing over their shoulder, big brother over their shoulder, saying you got to eat the right things, you got to get exercise, blah, 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 and they end up ballooning. It becomes a health issue. This could end up becoming a health issue for Zion after he's done playing basketball. So it's important that they nip it right now and get him on a good regimen physically, health-wise, because you want to see this kid have longevity in the NBA. Right now, he's having more issues and more questions about his weight than he is anything.
0: There's no doubt, and he definitely has to get it under control. Last question for you: Who's going to be the next LSU football coach?
1: I'm going to say it's going to be uh, Lincoln Riley.
0: You know, that's who I think it's going to be too. As as uh, the last couple of weeks, but what makes you say Lincoln Riley? That's that, that as Oklahoma comes in the SEC, he doesn't really have to make that switch. Why would you, if you were him? Why would you want to make the switch from Oklahoma to LSU?
1: You know, it's a good question because we had this debate in the office yesterday, and I was asking Chris Hagan and Sean and the guys. I was, like, I was like, I used to cover Oklahoma football many okay. years before I came to New Orleans. And so I kind of understand the program in that there is nothing at Oklahoma support-wise um, um, support wise, um Stadium-wise, all the things on the outside of football that football team needs to attract the top recruit. There's nothing in Oklahoma that they don't have that LSU has. It's the same program basically in terms of like huge stadium, great fan base, boosters that will pay anything to get uh, to get the right coach and everything. But I was reminded that the one thing OU does not have that LSU does is an expectation of winning a national championship. At Oklahoma, they want to win a championship, but they will be satisfied they're winning 10, 11 games a year and not with a championship. At LSU, they've gotten spoiled with Les Miles, with Nick Saban, and um, obviously with, um, with uh, Ed Ogeron. They've won championships. And so now, right or wrong, Tiger fans believe we should win a championship every year. Right or wrong, but that seed's been planted now by the last coaches that have been there. They've won one, haven't won enough in Tiger fans' eyes. So that's what Lincoln Riley is stepping into. That's the one big difference between LSU and Oklahoma. There's an expectation and a darn it, you better get us a championship here within the first two or three years. That he doesn't have at Oklahoma. They don't have that pressure at Oklahoma. They can talk about one to win one, but LSU, they've won them. They know what they, they they say you have to win this or you're gonna be out the door. So. That's well, why I think Lincoln. I think Lincoln Riley, obviously, offensively too. He's a he's an offensive mind like a Joe Brady, right. and I like that. Um, but he, he, I mean, for me, first all, I wanted Joe Brady. I thought Joe Brady would be great because my head coach, Jim, I want my head coach to be the face of the of the team. I don't need him to mess with the offense. I don't need him to mess with the defense. That's why Les Miles is so great. He stayed out of his coordinator's way and just said, you know, I'm going to be the face of the face of the franchise. Go to to shake some hands, kiss some babies. That's what I want a head coach to be. I think Lincoln Riley could be that guy.
0: Well, the reason why I think it's going to be Lincoln Riley is because I think they want someone not only that uh, is young and could be the coach and face of this franchise for a long time. Um, They want to – I mean, that's how you build a fan base with a guy like that. But to me, I I just – that's the guy who I think it's going to be, and I'm not saying he'd be a bad hire because I think he'd be a good hire. But to me, I just think – if you go the route of like a Mel Tucker or something like that, I mean, the, the, what that guy has done in Michigan State, to me, and I know he's not the the sexy pick or whatever, and he's not the the big name or whatever, but to me, a guy like Mel Tucker, I think, would bring a different mentality to what maybe this team has been lacking a little bit. I, I love how hard they played under Coach O. I just, yeah. I just think this 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 I don't know, <clears throat> franchise, college football, I just think they. Be better served to have someone like that come in young, full of vigor, and and just what it, again? What he's done in Michigan State, I think, is incredible.
1: Yeah, I think, it, but I I think that the negative for Mel Tucker, he hasn't done it long enough. Yeah, you know that that's my thing. He hasn't done it over the course of five years. Been the so. top ten in the, in the conference, um, right? But you know, Ed Ogeron's biggest biggest downfall was the guys he hired around him. Yep, he could he, he could not match what he had in Joe Brady. He could not match what he had in Dave Aranda. Um, could not match what he had in Ensminger, Really, you know, with the new hires, he wanted to go younger, which he needed to go younger. But you've gotten two guys in there that don't have skins on the wall in terms of coaching, and so um, that that's his biggest downfall. I-, I tell you, I feel like players will run through a wall for Ed Odiroma because he no bleeds purple and gold, has such a passion for it that you will not find a head coach at LSU again in football that will have the kind of passion that Ogeron had for that football team, because he is LSU. But again, you have to have the right guys around you coaching with players, and he did not, and that failed him. And so now you say, okay, we've given you a chance to fix it. You couldn't, so now we got to get rid of you. And I feel bad for him, but he's going to walk out and get some extra cheese on this hamburger because he's got a little bit of money in his pocket.
0: A quick, ch- a quick chance because I, I don't know that I've ever seen a fall from grace as quick as Coach O's fall from grace. I'm not saying it's not the right decision to make uh, because I think yeah. that it is actually, but it's, man, it, and it's tough. And, and I, I've known Coach O for, for 10 years or so, and it, it's, yeah. it, 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 was, it was tough to see. Juan, uh, tell us a little bit about uh, the, the Overtime podcast and all the things going on at <laughs> Fox 8.
1: Well, we do the Overtime Podcast at least a couple of times a week. We're at episode 247 now, which is crazy. Yeah, that We've is. We've done 247 episodes in just over a year. So um, Chris and Sean use the handle. I'll jump on every now and then do a Pelicans one with them. Um, but we just have so much going on, man. Football season just does not stop. Fox A football Friday, tomorrow night, well, Friday night with high school and the playoff with second round. So uh, it's busy. But uh, it's always fun when we've got teams that teams are winning or at least being competitive and are in the fight, in the race, which the Saints are, so they're keeping us on our toes. So it's
0: been a lot of fun. It's amazing that you guys have been successful as you are with Gillen just kind of walking around. And, I mean, hey, this guy Let's hasn't caught you, you down yet. Uh, Jim, I think you need
1: to change his title. He's Hall of Famer Dylan now. He's <laughs> being, right. inducted into La, being inducted into De La Salle's uh, Hall of Fame this evening. We were talking about it yesterday. He's like, I got to write this four-minute speech in this one, too. <laughs> I said, listen. I said, get you some 30-second walkout music, 30-second wave music, and then you only got to write three minutes. You're good to go then. So but it's, I'm happy for him. It's a big deal. He gets to join his best friends, the Michaels, in De La Salle's uh, Hall of Fame. And, you know, good for him. Congratulations to him and everything. But, yeah. We we do so much work, so much good work at Fox 8, in spite of Garland Galen. Uh, not despite. So I'm the just glad
0: job. you were able to put that haircut up there on the screen the other night. I saw oh, that picture. I'm like, man, that that's that's beautiful. And speaking of Sal, we're gonna have Fletcher Mac on next week, so maybe we'll have Dallas. I'm wearing Dallas. They can't see me, but I'm wearing Dallas. You colorful.
1: you do have Dallas Salle colors on. Yes, well done. Well, way to represent it.
0: Well, Juan Kincaid, thank you for taking uh, time out on your busy Wednesday morning. We appreciate it. We'll we'll see you throughout the week on Fox Eight. Keep doing what you do. All right, Jam. Thanks, Jam. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Juan. To, we thank Juan for coming on and uh, loved his take on uh, even though we didn't necessarily di- agree on Trevor Simeon. Um, I thought it was a great look at it, um, and that's why I have people on the show that we don't have to agree. We can respectfully disagree, um, but. Uh, you know, it, it. we did agree on one thing. This is a must-win. We've talked about it. So, you go to, you, the Saints haven't lost, and, and if you didn't read my column, one thing I, I remind people of is the Saints have not lost three in a row in a, at any point in the season since they started the 2016 season 0-3. And that was the last of a run of seven and nine seasons. And so, if you follow this game, I think you're staring 8-9, 7-10 and 10 right in the face. And it's like he said about what Deuce said. You lose this game, you can start thinking about how you're going to approach next season because that's where we are. So with that being said, again, in my picks column, I changed my pick. I changed it from Eagles to Saints because I'm betting on Sean Payton, but I'm not betting real money because I don't feel that confident. So, you could check out what I think there again. My NFL picks column is on bet.nola.com. It's also on uh, this Saints page on on nola.com, nola.com slash sports slash Saints. A reminder that you can reach me at jderry at theadvocate.com. I had some nice comments uh, this week. Um, you know, we haven't had a mumbo gumbo segment in, in quite a while, uh, but uh, I do want to give a little shout out to. Ron, I don't know how to pronounce his last name. Ron Sayher. Sayher. I'm a, I'm I a guess it's Sayher. S-E-H-E-R. From Plano, Texas. Um, a, a guy who was born in New Orleans, grew up in Metairie, went to East Jefferson, Loyola, and was a producer and director at WIES. He's now retired in Plano, Texas. Wrote me a nice note, and I thank Ron for listening. Um, also had uh, a nice uh, message on Facebook from uh, Mark Jordan, I think it's Legan. Um, another New Orleans native that uh, that wrote me and, and said some nice things. So, And I've had uh, some messages on Twitter this week uh, that don't necessarily... Some of them agree with me, some of, them, some of them don't, and that's okay. If you disagree with me, it's fine. I, I had one guy on Twitter, uh, at Jim Derry Jr., by the way, if you want to reach me on Twitter. Actually, uh, try to tell me that he thought the roughing the passer call on Ellis at the end of the first half was a good call. I think he was trying to pull my chain. I really do. But anyone who thinks that that was a good call either doesn't know football or they're just full of it and they're just trying to pull. You know, you you get that. That's one thing about being in this business. It doesn't happen to me as it happens as much to other reporters and other sportscasters, because I'm not as high-profile as those guys are. And actually, a lot of times, I'm glad that I'm not. Um, But it does happen, especially when you're doing these sorts of things. People like to just pull your chain. I mean, you read what they say, and you you can't believe any sane human being would, would believe some of the things that they write. I mean, anyone who watched that play, I mean, Ellis basically touched Tannehill's nameplate. If you watched the replay... And I think that it, I told him, I mean, even if you, if you asked the official that made the call and he went back and watched the replay, if you were sitting down having a – I don't think he would say it in a public venue, but if you were sitting down having a beer with the dude and you asked him, I'm sure he would say, yeah, I screwed that one up. It's okay. People are human. That's one thing that people – look, I, I've officiated baseball in, in, for many, many years. Being an umpire or a referee is not an easy job. And so we give them a lot of grief. But you expect so much more when you're refereeing or officiating at that level. You can't make those kinds of calls. And, again, this is something we're going to talk about in the offseason. When we get into the offseason, we're going to spend time talking about rules and things we don't like, and we're going to spend a lot of time with the NFL. And uh, we'll have different guests on. I'm going to have, I know, some, some officials in, in high places. Hopefully we'll be able to get some people on and talk about different things, but that's that's not what people want to talk about during the season. Um, so, And speaking of that, we're going to have some great shows coming up next week. Uh, a little programming note, next week we'll have, it's it's obviously a weird week with the Saints playing on Thursday, two weeks in a row on Thanksgiving. So we're going to have, on Monday we will have our normal show where we will review the Saints-Eagles game and we'll have Fletcher on of WDSU to talk about that. On Wednesday, Wednesday, um, it's kind of a be kind of a preview combo show. Uh, also, we're gonna have to do picks in in some regard. Um, so Wednesday show will be an interesting one. Uh, I'm happy to have Mike Dutilleux is coming back on next Wednesday. He was on about a month ago, and uh, that has seemed to be our most popular show thus far. So I'm excited about having Mike on again. He'll he'll uh, preview the Saints. Bills game with us, and we'll also talk about where the Saints go, whether a win or a loss. I mean, obviously a win you're you're right in the thick of things. And then you're not only in the thick of the playoff race, but you're in the thick of the NFC South race. If you win this game, it shows you how how important this game is, right? If you win, no matter what Tampa Bay does against the Giants on Monday night, you got to assume they're going to win. But no matter if you win, you're right in the thick of the of the division race, and of course you're towards the top of the wild cards. If you lose. You're almost certainly out of the division race already. And now you become one of those teams that's just fighting for a playoff spot. And it changes the outlook on the entire rest of the season. You go into the Bills game with confidence, and you're gonna need confidence to play them. And then Dallas. So that's why this is this is we've had a couple must wins. The Saints have done well in those. They beat Washington. You could say Seattle was a must win. Um they found a way to win it. So are they going to win this must win? It's been a quite the roller coaster of a season. We're going to find out. We'll talk about that with Mike Detellier next Wednesday. <clears throat> um, I think also next Wednesday we'll probably have on uh, Conductor Dave. He will do his segment on Wednesday. Um, not sure about uh, about Uncle Big Nick when he'll come on, but he will. We'll have all of those guys on on Friday. Conductor Dave and And um, Uncle Big Nick will be on Friday. We'll do our Five Star Friday. It might be Five Star Wednesday next week, because a week from Monday, when the Saints uh, after the Saints play this Thanksgiving, we're going to take a Monday off. So that there will be no doubtitude a week from this Monday, Um, and then we'll try to get back onto our regular schedule. But again, if you want to. Listen to this podcast uh, as you are today. You can listen to it in a multitude of places wherever you're listening right now. Make sure to subscribe and get notified every time there is a new one out. Uh, We have Datitude comes out on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays, except sometimes a little different when the Saints play on weird weeks like they do the next two weeks after this one. Uh, Also, uh, don't forget to watch our multitude of shows on bet.nola.com. Odds and ends on Monday to review the previous weekend of football. Fantasy Roundup on Tuesdays and at the book on Thursdays featuring Cashin' with Carville. That is going to wrap up episode number 24. I want to thank Juan Kincaid of Fox 8 once again for coming on. We'll be back on with Five Star Friday with our regular cast of characters predicting what's going to happen this weekend and the weekend of football. And then next week, Fletcher Mackle on Monday and Mike Detoye on Wednesday. Thank you for spending part of your Wednesday with me. We will see you on Friday. Peace and love, my friends.